Amen. Well, good morning. I want to say a particular uh, word of welcome to those of you who are uh, guests with us this morning. My name is Alex. Really glad if you're joining us here for the first time, especially if this is your first time, like, ever in a church setting, whether it's in person or online. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've been expecting you, actually. What we're all about here is really simple. Connect people to God, to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. That's what we're all about. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. Today is Palm Sunday, a special day in the life of the church all over the globe. People are celebrating Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the worst week of his life, the hardest week of his life. But you wouldn't know it from the Sunday, right? On this Sunday, if everything looks up and to the right. There's a great crowd. Everyone's excited, a lot of joy, a lot of energy, a lot of celebration as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Now, we spent the last three weeks in a series called Fractured, dealing with the reality that there's things broken in us and there's things broken around us. And next week, we're going to talk about restored, how God restores things through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So next week's about restoration and God's work of restoration. Today, we're going to ask the question, what can we do to participate along the way? Like, what's our role? What can, how might we participate in God's great restoration project. And this week I was inspired a little bit by one of our Connect devotional uh, uh, reflections. If you don't know, we have a five-day week devotional that drops over email. If, you don't, if you're not getting it, you want to get it, just write your email address on the hello card and drop it off. We'll get you on there. Uh, and Bella, uh, Bella Signieri is a teenager who contributes to that. And she talks about being a people on the mend. What does it look like for us to have our souls be on the mend. Any of you ever broken a, a bone before? Any of you ever broken a bone before? Right? Like, not a particularly pleasant experience, but not unusual, right? And while you're all casted up, your, your bone is on the mend, right? Repairing itself. One of the things that happens whenever we sin is we introduce fracturing into the world. We fracture our own souls. We fracture the world around us. Every time we lie, we contribute to the fracturing of our own souls and the world around us. Every gossipy conversation, every proud thought, every jealous thought, every time we act on anything out of ambition or pride or even out of anxiety, we're contributing to the fracturing of our own souls and the world around us. You don't have to be a Christian even to recognize the fracturing, right? If you hear voices of shame, guilt, rage, anxiety, those are the voices that tell you that you've been a part of the fractured world and you've contributed as well as received fracturing. And because we're all imperfect, or at least I'm imperfect, you maybe not be, because we're all imperfect, we're going to continue to, to wrestle with, contribute to the fracturing of the world and our own souls. So here's the question, is there any way that we can contribute more to the mending of the world than the fracturing of the world in our lifetime? How might we grow to be people who are people on the mend, more than we're a people who contribute to the fracturing. Now, throughout the stories of Jesus, there's always crowds around him, right? There's always crowds around Jesus all throughout the stories in his life. And mostly the crowds are wrong. Like, they want to do, they want to, like, they have the wrong picture of Jesus. They want to make him king in an earthly sense. They're almost always wrong. And Jesus has to correct the crowds or escape the crowds or not go along with the crowds. But here on Palm Sunday, let's celebrate the crowds finally get it right. Can we give the crowd a hand? Just give the crowd a hand. Way to go, crowd. Way to go. One time in three years, the crowd finally gets it right. They worship Jesus on the way in. And, and, and other gospel accounts, there's an objection to the people sort of worshiping Jesus. And, they, and, and Jesus says, if they don't cry out, the rocks will, right? So the crowds get it right. 
for once. They worship Jesus as, as he enters into Jerusalem. And what I want to pose to you as we talk about living as fractured people in a fractured world, here's how we start to become on the mend. The mending of our souls starts with right worship. That's how mending begins. The repair work inside of us and the call that goes out to the whole world this week to come and worship, come and, and celebrate, come and order our lives around the God who loves us. What do you do with the voices of regret, shame, rage, guilt inside your own souls? Deliberate, joyful, humble, surrendered worship around the one who's the restorer of our souls. That's what we do with those voices. That's how we start to become a people on the mend. And as we, as we experience that, we send out the invitation far and wide, come and join us to become a people on the mend. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Psalm 118, which is the, one of the lines that the people are quoting as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So we're going to be in Psalm 118. That's a psalm that the people are quoting as Jesus walks into Jerusalem. It's a psalm of celebration and thanksgiving. And we're going to look at the larger context of Psalm 118 to understand how is worship here being poured out on Jesus? What's the full message the crowd is sending both to Jesus and to the religious leaders and the people around him? How is the worship of Jesus here in this moment, a part of the mending of these people's souls and a part of mending a broken and weary world around us. Psalm 118, we're going to look at just the first few verses to start, starting in verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. All right, pop quiz on a Sunday morning. See if you paid attention in high school history class, okay? You ready for this? Dial back. If I said to you, this is a four score and seven years ago moment, what am I talking about? What's four score and seven years ago? What's that from? Gettysburg Address, look at this. Look how smart you all are. You should all email your high school history teachers and say, I remembered something. Four score and seven years ago, Abraham Lincoln, in the midst of one of the most horrific seasons in our country's history, stands up in a beautiful economy of words, delivers a pitch perfect speech to cast vision for what kind of country America is going to be on the other side of this horrific, horrible, bloody civil war. It is such a beautiful speech. Now, little fun fact, you might not know, Abraham Lincoln was not the main event in that, in that gathering. There was another speaker invited. He was, a, he was a preacher. And the preacher spoke for two long, tedious, boring hours. Preachers never know when to shut up, do they? Two hours, and Lincoln gets up and in 271 words delivers the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the top five speeches in American history. When I say to you, this is a four score and seven years ago moment, I'm not talking about what happened 87 years ago. I'm calling up a whole bunch of history, right? A whole, a whole package of cultural history of importance that was sort of loaded up in that moment. The same thing happens with the I have a dream speech, right? Like, a, what, like how important that was in American history or one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Anytime we reference these things, you and I have this history we draw on of a whole cultural package of things that were important in that moment. In this moment with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the crowd is quoting this psalm, Psalm 118. And, the, and the, what they quote is this, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's just one line from Psalm 118, but they don't just mean one random line from Psalm 118. They mean the whole package of Psalm 118. 
everything that goes with Psalm 118, all that's important around Psalm 118. So here's a little Bible nerd tip for you, if you're a Bible nerd, the five of you who are Bible nerds. If you, anytime you see in the New Testament, the, a line from the Old Testament quoted, they don't just mean that one line, they mean the whole package, what was happening back in that Old Testament passage. And of course, the people uh, in the New Testament, most of them were very familiar with the Old Testament, much more familiar than you and I are with the Old Testament. So they knew what that meant, just like you and I know what one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind means, right? That there's the whole package there. So part of what we're going to do here this morning is look back. When the crowd says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, what do they mean by that? What's, what all is going on in Psalm 118? And what, are the, what is the crowd importing into this moment? And why is it so meaningful? So the crowd opens with the song of celebration, right? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And then they, call, they cry out to the whole nation, let all Israel say, his love endures forever. My friends, in a fractured world that you and I both live in, how do we become souls on the mend? How do we become a people on the mend? Listen, souls on the mend and mending begins with, give, the Lord is good, his love endures forever. Would you repeat that with me? The Lord is good, his love endures forever. Again? The Lord is good, his love endures forever. One more time with feeling. The Lord is good, his love endures forever. This is where it all starts. This is true north. If you're trying to have a compass for your life, this is true north. And this is why it's so important. If you lose this, you're lost forever. If you lose this, the goodness of the Lord, the love of the Lord, you're lost forever. This is a challenge for some of us. There's a number of ways that this is challenging for us. For some of us, we struggle to believe that God is good and that his love endures forever because you've experienced pain and heartache, disappointment with God. God didn't show up for you or someone you loved. And that's a challenge for some of us to sit in. David, who likely wrote this, this psalm, was not unfamiliar with disappointment with God. He gets anointed as king over Israel by God, and then he's on the run for years from King Saul until God finally puts him as king over Israel. Why does God not show up for those two or three years while he's living in caves and running for his life? David can live with two things at the same time that's really hard. Life can be miserable, and God's still good at the same time. So hard, isn't it? Life can be miserable, things can be really hard, and God can still be good, and his love can still endure forever, all at the same time. David decided over the course of his life that God's goodness and God's love was more enduring and truer than his miserable experiences and circumstances. Like, that was true. Like, that was more true. His, his experiences were, of difficulty were true. God's love was even more true. And challenges and heartbreak were an opportunity for David to turn toward God, not away from God. That's the invitation to you and me as well. For, the, for those of you who are here this morning, we're so glad you're here, who struggle to believe that God is good, and you've got people's exhibit A, B, and C, where God did not come through for you or someone you loved, I want to invite you to consider, what if God's love was the defining characteristic of your life rather than your pain and disappointment? What if God's love was the defining characteristic, the thing that defines your life more so than pain, heartache, and disappointment. Still others of us, we don't have like some list of things that have been like hard or difficult for us. God, if someone came to you and said, hey, do you believe that God is good and his love endures forever? You're like, sure. Why not? Like, I believe that. Like, I grew up in a church or around people. Like, you believe that, but here's what you believe. Here's what's true. It's wallpaper in your life, right? It's like that wallpaper background in your life that you don't see anymore. 
It's like a cute wall hanging that you haven't looked at in years, or haven't really paid attention to in years. It's on the background, right? It's just kind of there, but it doesn't really intersect your life in any meaningful way. One of the things that David and Jesus both did was they refused to have the Lord is good, his love endures forever, be in the backdrop. It was front and center in their lives, all their lives. They built their whole lives around the Lord is good, his love endures forever as the central energy, central power of their lives. And throughout the psalm, David's going to keep coming back to again and again and again, inviting all Israel to say it with him, the Lord is good, his love endures forever. My friends, what difference do you think it might make? What difference do you think it might make if God's love and his goodness moved from the background of your life to front and center in your life. What difference do you think it might make? If you actually decided, you know what, I'm going to put God's goodness and God's love as a central piece of, of my, my motivating energies, what matters most to me, what's capturing my imaginations, from the background of the wallpaper to the, middle, to the, to the most important thing, I'm going to run every decision through it and by it. What would it look like for you to declare, yeah, the Lord's good, his love endures forever, and I meet it in a meaningful way that actually intersects my life? Still others of us, we've decided other things are more important, right? The Lord is good, his love endures forever, sure. But there's other, there's other more important things, more urgent things. Work, hobbies, job, money, whatever it is, right? Like the, the things that we chase after and chase after, chase after, say, okay, God's fine, but this is what matters most. Anytime we do that, that's called, in the biblical terms, that's called idolatry. Idolatry, taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Taking a good thing, job, money, hobbies, trying to make it an ultimate thing over God. Anytime we do that, we fracture our own souls, and we contribute to fracturing in the world. David and Jesus both had plenty of opportunities to chase after other things. And again and again and again, Jesus perfectly, David imperfectly, they came back to the good news that the Lord is good, his love endures forever. That's the most important thing. What would it look like for those of us who have things that are more important than God in our lives to say, okay, God's fine and all, in the spot, kind of in the box, maybe Sunday mornings, that's fine, but then here's the rest of my life, that's what really matters. What if you reordered your loves so that God was at the top? What if you put the power of God at the top of your life? What if, what if the eternal power and love and goodness of God was the cent central animating energy of your life because everything else you're chasing after is passing and fading. Only God's love endures forever. Your job is not gonna endure forever. Even your family is not gonna endure forever. Your hobbies are not gonna endure forever. There is one magnificent thing that's available to you that endures forever. That is the love of God and his goodness. That endures forever. What if that was the central energy of your life? shaping and guiding all your decisions, how you walk through this life. What starts the mending process in our souls is organizing our hearts around true north. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. Now here's the problem with that and the challenge with that. You can say it without meaning it, right? Any of you know someone who maybe said on a Sunday morning, the Lord is good, his love endures forever. On Sunday morning, the rest of the week, they were a complete disaster and miserable, horrible human beings. Ever know someone like that? Yeah, you can say it without meaning it. That's a really hard thing, right? There's people throughout history who have said stuff like this, whose lives did not look like it in any way, shape, or form. But at the same time, at the same time, you can't believe it without saying it. In community, with the people of God. The psalmist cries out, let all Israel declare the Lord is good, his love endures forever. Let all of Chatham Community Church declare the Lord is good, his love endures forever. Let all of Chatham County declare the Lord is good, his love endures forever. Let the whole triangle declare the Lord is good, 
love endures forever. Let all of North Carolina, all the United States, let the whole earth declare the Lord is good. His love endures forever. It goes out, this mending invitation, this invitation to have our hearts mended by a good God. That invitation goes out further and further and further out because when you say things, it's a way to participate in the reality, to make those realities more real to you. And you've experienced this before. How many of you have ever been on a road trip with other people and you think you need to go to the bathroom? And you don't say anything for a while. And so you hold it and you hold it and you hold it for a while. And then finally you say, I think I need to go to the bathroom. And as soon as you say that, you have visions of Niagara Falls. <laughs> and Old Faithful. Unbidden, unwanted, right? You say it out loud, you participate in the reality that is there. You really do have to go to the bathroom. You say it out loud, it intensifies your participation in what is true. When you worship out loud together, we sing songs like Hosanna. We are encouraging our souls and our imaginations to participate in the larger reality of what's true about God. Let all Israel, all the church, would you say it with me one more time? The Lord is good. His love endures forever. That is the worship that leads to mending of our souls. Now from here, we're going to skip down toward the end of Psalm 118, the home stretch of Psalm 118. And what you might not realize if you just read this in your Bible is that this is a call and response back and forth. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big religious holiday. It's a festival. Jesus, and, I mean, sorry, David and his crowd is approaching the temple gates and inside the temple gates are the priests. And so David and this crowd are going to call out to the priests. And the priests are going to call back to David as he's entering into the temple gates. And as you sort of, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of note that in, in, the, in the scripture on the screen. It's not in the Bible, but that's, like, that's the truth. That's how it's happening. And as we see how this sort of back and forth goes, you start to realize how, how significant it is that this crowd, a thousand years later, is quoting this psalm. Because it's not just appropriate for David there, a thousand years before Jesus. A thousand years later, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, Jesus is entering into the gates of Jerusalem as the rightful king who is welcomed and celebrated the righteous one who is worshipped. So let's see how Psalm 118 sort of tees up, how it works out with David, and then how it works out with Jesus as well. Psalm 118, we're going to skip down to verse 29. David cries out, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. The priests call back. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. And then David cries out, I will give you, give God thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. So David opens, little priest, little priest, let me in. As he's coming up to the temple gates, little priest, let, let me in. These are the gates of the righteous. Now we need to do some rehab around the word righteous because we almost never use that word in our culture. And the only time we do use it, it's self-righteous, right? Which is a terrible word and no one wants to be self-righteous. So don't, you don't like people who are self-righteous. Here's the deal. Righteousness in the Bible is a good thing. It's a great thing. And self-righteousness is the exact opposite of the good thing that righteousness is in the scriptures. Self-righteousness inflates me minimizes my need for God. I don't need God. I'm, I got all together. And it makes others small. Stupid. Right? Self-righteousness inflates me, makes God small, and makes others small as well. Righteousness right-sizes me, empowers me to love and bless others, and magnifies God, who is the source of all righteousness. Self-righteousness is the exact opposite of genuine righteousness. It's, it's making things right, a right relationship with God and with ourselves and the world around us. Does anyone have a, a, a desire or a wish or a need for a relationship around you to be made right again? That's righteousness. 
Anyone have a characteristic or a habit in your own soul, in your own body, in your own life that you can't quite shake, you don't really like, but you can't get rid of, you don't like it, but you can't get rid of it, that's making things right inside of you. Anyone wish you had a right kind of job that was a good fit for you and your gifts and your skills and your passions, that's making things right. God's righteousness starts with a right relationship with God, where God in his grace and mercy pours out goodness into our souls in spite of our fragmenting, in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness. God says, I want to make you right in your relationship with yourself, with me, and the world around you. So God is good to make us righteous in his mercy. These are the gates to the temple. And David cries out, let me in to the gates of righteousness. And then the gatekeepers affirm, right? The the priests say, these are the gates of the Lord that the righteous may enter them. And they celebrate, yes, you're the king. You have a right relationship with God to the best of your ability. We're going to welcome you in. And then David celebrates that God has delivered him and been his salvation through dark and difficult Days. Now, all that makes sense, right, as David enters in, and the psalm was likely written for a religious experience, that David was running, you know, for his life, and, and, and God answered his prayers and became his salvation, has become his rescue. But can you also see how this crowd, a thousand years later, sings this over Jesus as he enters the gates of Jerusalem? Can you start to see how the crowd says, here's the one righteous king who has authority, to come into the gates of Jerusalem, to be worshiped and to celebrate. Can you see how the the crowd is taking this psalm and singing it over Jesus in a way that is more than it appears? Now the next line in the psalm is even more important, even more prescient for the uh, the crowd. Psalm 118 verse 22, David sings out, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. And the priests cry out, the Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. The Lord save us. The Lord grant us success. So David says the stone the the builders reject has become the cornerstone. David, remember, was anointed king and spent years running and running and running for his life from King Saul and from the people after him. And so that was David's story. Then the Lord took David and made him king anyway. So David and his crew celebrate God's faithfulness. And the priests echo back and celebrate too. The Lord has done this. This is good. We celebrate and we're glad in what God has done and ask the Lord for a blessing over David and his crowd. But a thousand years later, a whole crowd of people is going to take this psalm and going to sing it over Jesus because they know that Jesus is the stone the religious leaders have rejected. And they have a sense that God's doing something new with Jesus. And so, and, and so in the psalm, the priests are supposed to cry out in celebration, yes, Jesus, you are the new cornerstone. Yes, you are the one who's come in, the rightful priest. But here in this psalm, the priests are not the ones singing it over Jesus. The priests are on the wrong side of history, as we like to say now, right? The priests are rejecting the stone. They're the ones who are making the same mistake that King Saul did and all his followers a thousand years earlier. The, the crowd is crying out over Jesus. You are the rightful king, even though the authorities are rejecting you. And in fact, a day or two after, after this entrance, Jesus will tell a parable to the religious leaders where he quotes that very psalm. Psalm 118, the stone the builders rejected has become the corner Stone. Jesus is going to the religious leaders. The crowd is crying out to the religious leaders. This is this new thing. Don't make the same mistake they made with David. The psalm continues 
Psalm 118 continues with the priests singing over. David comes in, the line that we read, the, the line is this, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what the psalm, this was the song they sang back in John, in John that we read earlier. The, and all the, uh, all the entrances, all the recordings of Jesus going to Jerusalem have this refrain again and again and again. Blessed is both David who comes in the name of the Lord, but Jesus is the one who has come in the name of the Lord. The priests should be celebrating this. They're dropping the ball, so the crowd sings over, over them. And then the priests continue with their part. From the house of the Lord, we bless y'all. What we like to do around here is remind each other that the Bible's written in good southern English. That's, the, that's how the Bible's written. Uh, the Bible's default pronoun is you, plural, y'all. This is the default you in the, in the Bible. Anytime you see you, like not every time, but 80% of the time, it's not you singular, it's y'all because God's a good southerner. He likes to speak in southern. So the priests cry out to David and his whole crowd, blessings on all y'all as you come in for this festival. David and his crowd of followers then responds, we'll close out. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. And then the priests cry out with bows in hand, joining the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And then everyone says this together, David and the priests, and let's read this out loud with me, verse 28. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 118. It's this beautiful call and response between David and the priests, welcoming David and his followers in for a festival celebration. And in the process of welcoming David into the temple, they're celebrating David, surely, but they're also celebrating what God has done over David's story, that the Lord is over David's story, even the hard parts, even the difficult parts. And a thousand years later, as Jesus enters into the gates of Jerusalem, a crowd gathers around him, and there's a call and response with the crowd welcoming in the righteous king into the gates of Jerusalem. And as they do so, as they quote Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they pull this whole package of Psalm 118 in it. That they're, they're declaring that Jesus is the righteous king, the truly righteous one who has authority to be king over Jerusalem. And as they sing this song, they know that Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. has authority, though, to become the cornerstone. And as the crowd sings this song, they have no idea how far and how bad that rejection will get in just a few days. As the crowd sings this psalm over Jesus, they have no idea how far that rejection is going to go. And as the crowd sings this psalm over Jesus, the one line says, God has become his salvation, become David's salvation. So the crowd knows that God is Jesus' salvation, but they have no idea how far that's going to go because David was not resurrected by God the Father, but Jesus will be, become Jesus' salvation on that great Easter Sunday morning as God reaches all the way to the grave to pull him up out of the grave. Jesus and this crowd live in a fractured world, just like we do. But in this moment, they are participating in the mending of their souls. They are participating in the mending of their souls, and they're inviting the whole community, everyone, to come and be a part of the great mending work, the great restoration project that Jesus is the cornerstone of. This crowd that's part of the mending project is a part of a, a crowd of disciples. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke says this, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully sing over him. Luke says it's the uh, believers, crowds of believers. The disciples means not only the 12, sometimes it means this group of 70 that Luke also talks about. 
And then later in Acts, the same author, Luke, is going to say that there's a crowd of 120 people who are a part of this whole crowd of believers. And this is after the resurrection, where Jesus says, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And this crowd of 120 people are praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit falls on them, there's a new level of health and restoration that goes on into their souls. And the Holy Spirit sends them out to a fractured world and says, I want you to go and take a broken world and repair it with the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And it's very likely that out of the 120 people who are waiting for the Holy Spirit six, seven weeks later, that they're, out of that crowd of 120, there's a bunch of them right there in Jerusalem welcoming Jesus in to the worst week, the hardest week of his life. And it's actually not very likely that this crowd that welcomes Jesus in is the same crowd that cries out crucify on Good Friday. Jerusalem, especially Passover week, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So it's likely two very different crowds. And part of how this crowd welcoming Jesus in to Jerusalem avoids being the crowd on Good Friday crying out crucify is they spend the time here on Palm Sunday welcoming worshiping, being souls on the mend as they order their hearts and their minds around the great healer and redeemer and restorer of all these broken things. And so my friends, how does mending happen in our own souls? What do you do with the voices of guilt, shame, regret, and rage that plague you, that trip you up again and again and again? What do you do? You do what the crowd did here, Palm Sunday. They worshiped, we worship. They declare what's true about Jesus. We also declare what's true about Jesus. And we go into Easter week with the song on our lips and on our hearts. That's today's wildly important take home. Today's wildly important take home. That worship is our first step of participation in the mending of our fractured souls. Right worship, worship around Jesus, is our first step of participation in the mending of our fractured souls. Souls. We orient our hearts and our minds and our lives around the goodness of Jesus, around the restorer and the healer, so that shame, guilt, anger, rage don't plague you any longer. The Lord begins to do his work to heal the brokenness in our spirits and in our souls. So this week, as we get ready for Easter, straight ahead, here's what I want you to do. Prepare yourself for Easter. I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. Would you repeat that with me? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One more time. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to call to mind something that's been on your mind the last couple days. Could be something that's making you angry, frustrated, it could be a house project, could be something at work, could be a relationship that's so strained, could be a medical problem, a financial problem, anything, something from the news that's kind of gotten to, kind of stuck in your craw that you're thinking about or wrestling with, something you're excited about, anything, can you come to, bring to mind anything that's sort of been on your heart, your mind the last couple days, you got something? Here's what I want you to do, I want you to sort of hold your hand out as if you're like offering this to the Lord, and then we're going to pray this prayer over it, okay, so hold this, hold your hand out just for a second. You're, you're offering this to the Lord. Let's pray what we just prayed together over the thing that's been in your mind and your heart. Together, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you see how that pulls some of the anxiety out of it? How it orders and situates 
this thing you've been thinking about in a larger frame of God's goodness, gratitude before the Lord, blessing of Jesus? How many times this week do you think you could say that? What if someone this week cuts you off in traffic and instead of using some choice words, what if instead what came out was give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What if this week before you had a hard conversation at work or with your kids, grown kids, little kids, what if this week as you're facing financial challenges or going to the doctor, what if you sort of said over and over and over again, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Blessed is he, Jesus, who has come in the name of the Lord. My friends, this prayer is not a cover-up for the hard stuff. This prayer is strength to walk through and into the hard stuff. This song over Jesus gives him strength to step into the hardest week of his life and be faithful to God all the way through the whole thing. And so this week, I want to invite you into the power, the strength, the energy of this wonderful prayer. And I want to invite you into this even if you're not a praying person. Like, you don't pray. You don't think about God very much. I'm so glad you're here. Here's something. This is really simple. Give this a shot. See if praying this prayer doesn't do something for you. See if it doesn't anchor you in a larger reality. What if even if you weren't especially praying religious person, this mantra, this refrain, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What if that was your refrain over and over and over again? See if that might start to mend your fractured soul and fractured spirit. That's the invitation to you and to me and to all of Chatham County and beyond. As we go into Easter week, may you and I be people on the mend, souls on the mend, as we join in with this crowd singing Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Blessed is Jesus who comes in the name of the Lord to the worst week of his life for the wonderful work of restoration for you and for me and to all eternity. That's what makes him worthy of worship and praise. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming to this moment in your life, Palm Sunday. Thank you so much for receiving the worship of broken, fractured people and for receiving our worship as well. And so, Lord, as we head into this week, into Easter week, as we pull from the same song that the people sang over you, we ask that you would open up our, our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the wonders of your great love. We ask, Lord Jesus, that the things that we just held in our hands before you, that those things, we might have some fresh perspective on those things, that those things might be situated and organized in a larger reality. May we be people who give thanks to you, who remember that your love endures forever, that your goodness is never ending, everlasting. May we be a people who say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Would you prepare our hearts for Easter weekend as we become people on the mend in prayer and in worship. We pray in Jesus' strong mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen.